listening to the Australian Army Training and Doctrine Podcast. Welcome to our short series of podcasts on the Cove featuring 7th Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, and the lessons learnt during the battalion's ready year deployed in the Middle East region. With me is Captain Luke Murphy, who deployed with the battalion on Operation High Road to Afghanistan from June 2016 to February 2017. So tell us about your role on that operation. What did you do? So my role was the operations officer at Force Protection Element 6 at the Karga FOB. And basically that is in control of the Afghan National Army Officer Academy. And we provide the force protection for the mentors that are training the cadets at that academy. And as the operations officer, what was your day-to-day role? So my day-to-day role was ensuring that the nodes, as we called them, the fire teams, were able to go out and support the mentors that were training the cadets and the staff. My role was ensuring that they could go out there and actually conduct that role efficiently and safely. In terms then of how you prepared to conduct that role, what training did you undertake before you left Australia? So we had a great deal of lead-up training uh, which stemmed from med evacuation rehearsals, driving tasks, force protection tasks. And then for the command post itself, it was also focused on how we would actually react to incidents and how we would prepare the teams to go out on a daily basis and conduct their work. As the operations officer, though, how do you prepare for that role? Because I imagine it must be quite complex when you get into country in terms of what you're dealing with. And how do you somehow replicate that in advance? So we tried to replicate it as best we could. We would set up command posts that we've established connections from previous call signs that were over in Carga conducting those. However, you know, one thing we could have potentially done better is that you know, having a more realistic in-country command post that we could train to in order to run that command post for the British OC at the time for each phase of the operation. So just to clarify then, when you got into country, you were actually working directly to a British officer commanding. You weren't actually working with an Australian. Essentially, yes. We were split up into different parts of Kabul. We had a platoon minus element at uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport and we had Section Plus out at Headquarters Resolute Support and then there was a platoon plus, which was my call sign at the Afghan National Army Officer Academy. So in charge of ANOA is the British call signs, yep. And what did that mean for you in terms of you doing your job? There's different procedures, for example, you know, down to simple things on the radio, how call signs would talk to each other, understanding them for starters. So we worked with the Royal Gurkhas and we worked with the Irish Ranger Regiment and also the One Scots. And so basically, you know, the difference in language between them all was quite intense. I can hear there, there would have been a number of different accents you would have been encountering in your day-to-day job. So that in itself was obviously challenging. Yeah, it made life quite interesting at times, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And it is also down to how the Brits would conduct, for example, medical rehearsals and things like that. Like they just differ slightly to what we do, but we always train to integrate the two to come up with the best solution at the time. 
So how do you prepare for that? I mean, given your experience, what have you been able to pass on to subsequent rotations? So one thing we tried hard to do was establish a detailed handover notes and also try and bring back as much actual product and procedures that they're using that is relevant and pass that on to the course lines that are going over for future operations so that when they get there, they're up to speed already with everything that they're doing over there and what they can expect to receive from you know, the British OC or from a Danish mentor, for example, or an American. So basically we just tried to bring everything back, collate it all, and then pass that on through initial rehearsal activities to enable them to go over with greater success. So you mentioned there other nationalities who are also part of the coalition. What kind of challenges did that lead to then? Because you weren't just dealing with British people and indeed British people with lots of different accents. You're also dealing with other nationalities as well. We found it quite a pleasant experience. One thing that worked really well amongst our team was the fact that, you know, whilst they're all senior non-commissioned officers and officers that weren't only Australian but also, like I said, British, American, New Zealand, Danish our Australian diggers were actually calling the shots basically when it came to their security and basically providing that force protection for them to do their job. But our our guys and girls were also able to be quite flexible and they got to, you know, form relationships with these, you know, senior NCOs and officers uh, because they would work with them every single day and they were able to sort of tailor their force protection to what the mentor needed. So it wasn't too much of a struggle or anything like that and I think the guys and girls appreciated it. And within the confines of the mission they had the freedom of action to do that to be able to customise the force protection they were able to provide? Within limits yes but obviously it was closely monitored as to how that would occur. And for you as the operations officer the fact that there was that customisation going on did that provide you with any additional challenges? We received constant feedback from down on the ground and then we would actually ensure that we went out there frequently to observe and just make sure that everything was still standardised but that, you know, certain individuals and personalities that were mentoring from different countries were able to be satisfied with the levels of protection they were receiving and we would try and push the envelope but rarely we would have to draw the line somewhere. Once you're in country then, were there any specific challenges that you faced that perhaps you hadn't anticipated before you got there? The only key one I can think of at this stage is the fact that, you know, in the Australian Army, men and women as diggers, we we all train together and we're all in doing the same thing and we don't look at each other differently, whereas it's a big deal in the Afghan National Army for, you know, men and women to be both training in the same location, which they are, but the female trainees there and the staff there, you know, Afghans, are segregated from the males and they train separately. They've got a big border around their training facility. So maybe it was a little bit of a shock uh, for us to have to go over there and segregate like that during the work hours for force protection. So I suppose that was probably you know, a bit of a shock to us. That sounds like very different from what you'd be doing back here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely, where, you know, everyone's doing the same thing and it made no difference either way, whether you're male or female. What about the environment that you were working in over there? Did that have its challenges, just the heat, the air quality? Yeah, so we were fortunate enough that Carga is located sort of in the hills and a little higher up, a little out of the city. So we didn't really cop the same unpleasant smells that, the airport and 
the resolute support call signs would face each day. So I think we we were lucky in that regard. But as a you know, in terms of the heat, we still we still wore the brunt of that. And you know, wearing body armor and helmets, you know, the guys needed to hydrate and they'd come back and they'd jump into some aircon for a few hours just to cool off. Like it was it got pretty insane how hot it was, but overall the guys handled it well and they were a fit group that were able to handle it. So is it physical fitness that's the kind of fundamental in that regard? Or is there some more that people can do to prepare themselves for the heat when they are deployed to the Middle East region? Physical fitness is is a major component of it. The fitter personnel were able to handle it much better. They're all fit, but some of the less fit. And as much climatisation as possible. So, you know, prepare for the heat, but then also... It goes from scorching temperatures down to freezing cold and, you know, the last few months of the deployment we were faced with snow on a daily basis. So luckily enough, though, we had like the cold weather gear that was really good and quite relevant for the situation. So, yeah, we were lucky in that regard. So looking back on your experience as a whole, what do you think were the key lessons learnt in terms of the preparation for the deployment and indeed perhaps your ongoing training on the ground in Afghanistan? Again, being able to apply what's being used in country and to be able to pass on to future call signs that we'll hand over with you to enable them to achieve success much faster. You know, they can step basically straight into their roles and perform them. It was an ongoing challenge to create or replicate the type of driving training that would occur through traffic and things like that. So that's quite difficult to replicate back here in Australia whereas over there we're driving quite aggressively through the streets in both protected mobility vehicles and also the up-armoured SUVs. We continued to develop those standard operating procedures whilst we were over there and we got quite good at it and that was testament to the training that was provided by the key staff both here and over in Afghanistan. And in closing, what do you think you've brought back to your job back here in Australia from that deployment? What kind of lessons learnt have you been able to translate back into your training on the ground here? Being able to delegate the responsibility down to lower levels. You know, out on the ground, force protection was controlled by a junior NCO, either of a lance corporal or corporal rank, and sometimes a private who would be in charge of his four or five guys or girls, and he's responsible solely for the mentors security and protection and they did an outstanding job at doing that they were given their guidelines as to how it was to be achieved Um, but on the ground it was essentially his or her call they made outstanding decisions and kept everyone safe and everyone got home safely and what about for you personally I mean what have you brought home from that experience that you feel has perhaps changed the way that you conduct yourself as an officer at 7 REL? I suppose having that great understanding of there's more to the job at the moment than just inside Australia. We all want to go overseas and experience the new cultures and whatever's going on in the world. And I've just, I suppose I've got that appreciation for the work that's occurring over there, trying to enable that community to better itself and maintain stability there. Captain Luke Murphy, thank you very much. To listen to more podcasts in this series featuring lessons learned from 7RER's Ready Year, visit the COVE's website. The web address is www.cove.org.au. That's www.cove.org.au. I'm Captain Sharon Maskeldare. Thank you for listening. 
This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright the Commonwealth of Australia.